Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, this is Kill by Kill, Friday the 13th, part 3, in 3D, the final chapter. No, it's not. The final chapter is the fourth one, but this is the last of the three. I'm your humble host coming to you from Camp Crystal Lake, or as close to it as we can possibly get. And I'd like to welcome all of our loyal listeners and all the new people who've come on board since Halloween. We're so happy that you are here with us today. You may or may not know the Kill by Kill podcast is dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of every hack slash and decapitation in the Friday the 13th series because a camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And my compadre in this particular effort, this Herculean task, is the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? I, I am good. I'm good in this... Is it really... Do we want to call it a Sisyphean effort? Because that seems depressing. That That seems like... We're just going to keep plugging away at this to no to no end or any sort of reward. I think I, I think Herculean probably works works better. I like the way you put it. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, I don't think there's a point to any podcast that doesn't carry a depressing side note. I, I just think that's part and parcel of what we do. And hey, kids, uh, we're super super lucky. We have a special guest with us. It is from Alcoholywood. Clint Worthington from Chicago. How you doing, Clint? Oh, well, hey, kids. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'm very happy to join you for, is it episode 13? Yes. Yeah, uh, hopefully I'll survive to the end of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, like you said, I am the co-host of Alcoholywood, which is a weekly film review slash mixology podcast where we take a different movie every week uh, and talk about it uh, in the context of a drinking game. Basically, we'll make drinking game rules just kind of line up up with uh with recurring motifs and my co-host who's a mixologist will create you know a funny punny cocktail and it's a generally a good time uh, as of this recording we just did zardoz yeah with keith phipps of the next picture show no less so that was very oh, exciting. fantastic um as okay. yeah as is uh becoming on this show very exciting and how many drinks did it require to get through a, a viewing of zardoz and did you understand it better after, uh, after several drinks. I made the conscious decision to watch all of Zardoz stone cold sober. So oh, no. uh, it's uh, my eyes are wide open. And could, could, the thing could is, you Keith... hear, could you hear colors and see music? Oh, absolutely. Well, I could see a lot of Sean Connery is, is what I could see. Uh, Keith uh, has the Blu-ray of Zardoz. So he brought that. So uh, seeing uh, every single uh, thigh hair on Sean Connery <laughs> in HD was certainly an experience I will not be reliving. Or forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> or no. forgetting, or, uh, yeah, I mean, I had to drink a lot more afterwards, but uh, no, it was nice. It was nice. We plied him with alcohol, and it was uh, generally and actually a really good, even-handed discussion of a film that two out, two out of three of us did not really like all that much. <laughs> I don't know too many people who are really super pro-Zardoz from an unironic <laughs> standpoint or from a quality yeah. film standpoint. But yeah, bringing think, this yeah. around, the gun is good, the penis is bad, but Jason is better. Clint, mm -hmm. we ask all of our guests, before we enter into the fray, what was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? 
Ooh, that's a very good question, because um, I think growing up, I was actually more of a Nightmare on Elm Street kid, uh, but I did enjoy my fair share of Friday the 13th. Weirdly enough, I think my introduction may have been, like, in terms of actually watching it, not just knowing Jason from the cultural sort of uh, collective unconscious, was Freddy vs. Jason. And so, uh, of course, I got the best foot forward of Jason <laughs> Voorhees, and so, <laughs> uh, naturally. And then I think I saw Jason X next. I was on a roll, really, like, just oh, watching good all- lord. Yeah. Cream um, of the crop. So- right and so i think i've seen the first couple uh friday the 13th and so this will actually have been the first time uh with me seeing part three uh, oh yeah. well being a so virgin a often helps in in a slasher film so it's why i'm, I'm here talking with you today <laughs> not not that i'm a virgin phrasing <laughs> but uh that I this survived. is recorded clint uh, everyone can hear it and that's fine <laughs> oh, acceptance no. and so vocalizing sorry. it out loud is the first step towards moving on to the next realm Perhaps that's fair. <laughs> All righty, kids. Well, uh, let's review very quickly, and it'll be very short, because we are down to our final four. That's right. There are only four people left alive at this point in the movie. We have Ali, who is a leader of a very small motorcycle gang and looks like he's dressed up for a callback for the Warriors that he never actually got. Then there's Rick who's a He-Man doll in bounty paper towel mascot drag, and Chris, who is our final girl and the designated shouter of the word no, as she says it about a million and a half fucking times. So while Ali is the last person to actually die outside of conceivably Jason Voorhees, we're going to talk about it first because Rick and Chris are so tied together. So let's begin our discussion today about Ali. Gina, what are your thoughts on the leader of the pack? Well, I, I met him in a drive-in and, oh, never mind, <laughs> the drawn leader of the pack. Um, well, I mean, his, his, this is sort of the fake-out death in which he, he gets an, a really unwarranted hero's return in that he just sort of, like, <laughs> pops up out of nowhere and tries to save the day and it doesn't go well. You know, Jason chops his hand off almost immediately with a machete, to which he reacts to fairly calmly initially. <laughs> and then yeah, it's with like, a oh. fair amount of Elon. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and and then after about ten seconds or so, then he's like, "Oh, right, I should start screaming at this point." And then um, I I think he just basically Jason just hacks him to bits after that point. You know, it was it was a nice try. We we appreciate your efforts, Ollie, but you probably should have stayed dead. Yeah, I am struck by Ollie in a segment previous to this when he enters the barn of doom, which yet again gets its own ominous musical cue, a la the musical cue for the toilet and part two. <laughs> but at least people die in the barn. At least this goes somewhere. He goes in at one point looking for the rest of his gang who should be dumping gasoline all over it to light it on fire because that's what you do when you get, you know, humiliated at the local corner store by a pudgy guy and his unfortunate Latina uh, car mate. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone this mad at Jeff Ross. <laughs> Yes. a lot of people being mad at jeff ross actually. it's true but not this man <laughs> not burning down a barn man not no. breaking down 3d windows in front of the audience's face mad <laughs> his idea of stopping a car with a chain around his fist is 
I mean, it works. That's the crazy thing it about it. It works. Yeah, it may be the only time that the 3D effect is put to good effect, for for lack of a better a better phrase, because it's startling and and you know, someone's anytime someone puts their you know, their fists in close approximation to your face, you're going to flinch back a little bit. So that's one of the few times it actually has the desired effect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you weren't thrilled by the by the yo-yo dro- dropping down onto your face over uh, and over again. I, I was not. I you know I, I got no. Uh, Nothing no out of no satisfaction of someone shoving a joint in my face. Nothing like nothing like that. No, I'm, I got really <laughs> hungry for popcorn two thirds of the way through the movie. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, he uh, has. He's the one cast member who seems to be able to hit a three D mark because he puts his foot, his fist, you know, right at the center of the screen. Like he hits that mark. Good for him. Great. So yeah, he goes into this bar for looking for his two other compadres. And who I have to believe is it Foxy and who's and the Loco. other Fo- Fox at Fox Loco. and Loco Fox and Loco yeah. Fox yeah. who should have been the person who stayed alive the longest because she was the one she, who made the most impression during the convenience store scene. She wears the it best like bad Sandy pants out of everyone in the entire show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's true. She's the one who belongs the most in a thriller video. <laughs> I don't know or if no we ever bad. got. I'm thinking bad. Uh, yeah, 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 I can see that. I, I still don't yeah. quite understand outside of her name what the fox tales about because I think that's sending a signal that I don't understand as yeah. uh, square. I was gonna say the, the signal you, is she is super cool. As one very hep cat, I can assure you that Fox is a very fitting name for for her. <laughs> uh, so, but but we but instead we get Ali. Uh, who he like when we last saw him, he was just like getting bashed in with a pipe, right? And then we thought he was dead. He openly attacks a sort of see-through diaphanous potato sack over some garden hose in an effort to <laughs> to to eliminate this killer that is obviously not there. Uh, this attack makes no sense to me. There's something about this barn that throws off people's idea of what you can hide behind. A little bit later, at the very end, Jason is looking for Chris, who's the last person alive, and he throws a tizzy with these chairs that are in a sort of small enclosure within the barn. There's no way that Chris is behind those I-can-see-through-them chairs. There's almost like a, maybe like a gas leak in the, in the, in the barn. It's sort of like in The Simpsons when they go to uh, Praise Land. And they all start having convulsions and visions, and it turns yeah. and it turns out that uh, like there's gas leaking into the park. I just think maybe they they go into this barn and they start seeing things that aren't there. Well, maybe that gas that gas they had siphoned had started leaking out into the barn and gotten turned over, and so they're just everyone's just breathing in the fumes. Everybody was just high on fumes. Yes, Clint Beautiful. figured it out. I did. Clint figured it out, everybody. Mystery, everyone, Jinkies. We're done with the podcast. I saw it's been nice. Mystery. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling observer of a motion picture. A charitable, exp- a charitable explanation of shitty special effects. Uh, I am nothing if not extremely charitable towards really shitty movies, so I take that as a compliment. Uh, but yeah, but Ali, yeah, Ali, it would have it would have been better for the movie if like he had somehow if we had like seen that he was alive 
sooner and like maybe they sort of teamed up a little bit to like try to escape i don't know i don't know why he shows up again yeah where was he be... all this time i mean he was he unconscious for because this is also to be the same day presumably so i mean was he yes. just laying there for eight to twelve hours and just just happened to you know, wake up at that exact moment but... well and here's the trouble with people uh coming back to life after being presumed dead in a friday the 13th movies because for especially in this one there seems to be like stages to Jason's murders where he'll kill someone and then he will like place the body somewhere else presumably for survivors to notice so he has to mess around with the bodies a lot so it's really really tough to survive Jason so I don't know what he did with Ali to be like oh I I won't mess I won't put I won't hang him from the tree who gets chosen (laughs) for the Voorhees family uh, dead body funhouse I know that Loco's gonna look really good in this tree he can see it like like his, the idea that Gina came up with that Jason knows inherently what a couple's fuck style is so he can use it against them. <laughs> he also has right. a, an interior or in this case exterior decorator's idea of what looks good dead body wise to spring out at people. Yeah, there does yeah. seem to be there does seem to be a, uh, a a method to his madness because there's always one person that falls out of a tree, one person that falls out of a cupboard, one person that gets flung like a sack of potatoes through through a window. <laughs> it's it's kind of I mean he, you know he doesn't vary in his ways of doing the whole surprise everybody's dead, but but you know he does have a, a he does have you know ways that he he's very stuck on. Definitely the the either throwing people in the windows or out of windows. I will say it is very it's very economical of him to to use a dead body to further scare other prey. I like I love that he uses every part of the victim. <laughs> like a Williamsburg urban farmer just uses Indeed. every bit. Yeah, farm to window. <laughs> From death to decoration, he does it all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I yeah, sort of he's... feel like he, he's in competition with, you know, he, he snuck into town and saw Halloween and, and really liked what Michael Myers did with the, the setting up the corpses to be perfectly timed that, you know, and when Jamie Lee Curtis is running around the house, you know, at, that's the exact moment when Bob's corpses come swinging out of nowhere, like, like, yeah. like, see, like, as if he was like, just kind of attached on a hook and, and like a wily e. coyote sort of contraption that at that, she, at that exact moment, she tripped over a tripwire here he comes and it's like hmm i like mm-hmm. this i i need a little i need something a little more showmanship in my work it's a little zazz. Well, yeah. yeah well he's also really jealous because michael myers found his look sooner that's true he did he did it took it took the friday the 13th series three movies to figure out the signature look for their signature villain um because like this is the first real rampage we have with a murderer in a hockey mask and i have to give credit to shelly for like Oh man, he he knew he knew how to pick them. He was like, I, I really like this. Jason kills Shelley. He's like, I like this hockey mask. I'm gonna keep it. Yeah, Shelley showed a remarkable amount of uh, prescience in uh, in thinking yeah. this would make this this looks like something someone would wear to to disguise themselves when going on a murderous rampage. Yeah, I guess when they were thinking about creating the characters for this movie, and they were like, oh, he needs to take a mask off somebody. They're like, we need like at least one fat guy, some guy with just a really <laughs> huge face. So that way, Jason's the mask will fit on Jason's giant face. Who can we get that's not like has like sort of an Alec Baldwin esque face in terms of size? Like, we just need someone with the, who's the biggest head in Hollywood? 
just need a canned ham of a head for for an actor here. This is, this yeah. is what we're looking for. <laughs> and so we'll get baby Jeff Ross. That'll that'll work. Yeah. It does make you wonder why uh, Jason did not also adopt the wetsuit look. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like that's one step too far. I'll put on that mask. Like that looks good to me, but the wetsuit, yeah. ah, I'm fine even being few, wet and stinky when I got on. Even a, a even a feral even a feral killer is not going to walk around in the woods of New Jersey in the middle of summer in a wetsuit. That, that's yeah. that's not happening. He's like, this is not flattering on my body. And just just the moisture aspect alone is just. <laughs> you, you, you thought that you thought Mrs. Voorhees' sweater smelled bad. I mean, that's just Oof. where we're moving past. Just just you know, faces melt. He doesn't wouldn't even have to like kill anybody with his bare hands. Just stand there long enough, and just your, your face is melting right off. Just like looking into the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like Jason is like looked into the cov- it looked into the ark for like five seconds, then looked away. He's like, "I'm fine. I'm fine." How does it look? He's a little yeah. He's a little burnt pizza looking in this. Yeah, so. it's a little yeah. He, he's a little like Pizza the Hut meets sloth. <laughs> it's like sloth was underneath one of those heat lamps they, they used to put women when they were getting beehives under that those heat <laughs> lamps, and they left them in there a little too long. It's uh-huh. a little too was, pink, it's a little too eraser looking. Yeah, so uh-huh. somewhere somewhere between three and four, he got considerably worse looking. And yeah. I, I, I don't know, I, I guess he just rotted a little bit before they... Maybe. I mean, just laying out in that, that sun for a little while, getting a little, you know... A little damp, a little, uh, a little broken down. <laughs> well, I'm telling well, you, he... man, moisturize. You have to moisturize. This is what happens. The fact He's that we made... keep changing the fact that we keep changing the subject away from poor Ali, and, Ali. and also, and also, I keep wanting to call yeah. him. I keep wanting to call him Axel. I don't know why. Because yeah. <laughs> he mean, looks Ax- like the Warriors. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. And Axel is a way better motorcycle gang nickname. I mean, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that that shows you how much of an impression his his <laughs> last minute hero death makes on the audience, or or at least on on three of us. So yeah. So what should... you're trying, yeah, what you're trying to say is that Ali is not the greatest. You He's know, a bad, C, bad C man plus. and a worse, worse rescuer. Yeah, C, C for effort. You know, God bless him for trying. You know, at least at least he picked the right person to attack at the right moment. Because I mean, <laughs> he didn't. He has no idea who Chris is. Like, <laughs> that's what he, I mean. He he like apparently just snapped out back into consciousness, yeah. and suddenly knew you know right away that oh well, th- this is you, know, you I understand what's happening. Let me do. She this must thing. be protected. Yeah, yeah. A person telling the killer you're crazy. I'm just I just <laughs> I, I love that so much. Or, or <laughs> don't you think I know that? <laughs> it's like it's like you're a fucking psychopath. It's like yeah, I, I got that. Thank you. And it's. <laughs> I always want to see them. I always want to see like the killers when we go. Oh, that hurts! That that hurts me when you say these things. I just and, imagine, yeah. And then bury a machete, a machete in their forehead. Yeah, you know? right. I just imagine Jason stopping and going. Really? <laughs> this is the first movie where we actually hear Jason vocalize it all. There's a couple grunts and brrrs throughout he squeals in pain when he's uh, stabbed in the uh, hand and leg later on so it's not entirely out of character for him within this which in the pantheon is completely out of character because he changes every time i'll remind the audience and rick this is only about 36 to 48 hours after the incident of part two 
where he wandered around the forest with a beard and a full head of Rob Botine hair. <laughs> he looked like, I mean, we've, we've joked that certain people in the series have looked like a keyboardist for sticks. I would say he <laughs> has more of a roadie look in that particular film. But yeah. just a couple hours later, he's, you know, really been juicing up, hitting the gym, and yeah. he comes back bigger and weirdly, yeah, more Goonies-esque than ever. Yeah, it's more guar now, like, as opposed to sticks. Yeah. He's more of a guar character. Maybe he's like a Time Lord. Maybe he regenerates every time. And his sonic screwdriver is just... He just, just a machete. Is, yeah. is it Ali who basically gives him the idea for the machete? Because I feel like that's the first time... Like, Ali has the machete, and then he picks up the machete. Oh, yeah. I think so I feel right. like we have Ali to thank for the infamous machete. That, well, that the is, machete does appear the... in part two. It's just the he uses oh, yeah. the wrong side of the machete every single time. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, credit to part three, because I didn't have to watch part two because the part this movie just began with the climax to part two. I'm like, OK, I get it. Yeah. You really Last don't time have on to Friday watch, the 13th. You really don't yeah. have to watch part one either to, to get understand <laughs> yeah. part two because they do a, a you know, last time on part well, Friday the 13th part one. Previously on. <laughs> so that is Ali. R.I.P.D. Ali. Uh, So let us then move on to our second set of lovebirds, let's call them. Rick and Chris. (laughs) And I don't think we can really talk about them separately. They're linked to one another. Oh, Um, sorry. Sorry. I just fell asleep as soon as you said those names. The scorching (laughs) chemistry between... I'm awake now. Rick and Chris. Kendall motherfucker. Rick's incredible <laughs> sexual charisma. It's just it's it's, oh, it's it just, just drips from his sweater. It <laughs> so oh, many man. layers. So many fucking layers. The only difference yeah. between Rick and Shelley is self-confidence. Otherwise, they're about as equally tone deaf to the temperature in the room with the women they're trying to impress. <laughs> because Rick just does not get that there's something, there's a reason why Chris hasn't shown up here for a couple years, and he tries every bullshit excuse in the world. Like, uh, here's just a couple of quotes from him. Uh-huh. Did it just get cold in here, or is it me? Oh Yeah, Rick, the, the survivor of, of the assault would like you to slow it down a notch there, champ. There's only so many cold showers I can take. How about you fill your pockets with rocks and then have a dip in the lake? That's your option. Or you could just, like, listen for a fucking second to the woman across the way from you who's like, hey, slow down a little bit. And, okay, so let's just get this out here. They have fucked before, right? No one acts like this unless they had previously had sex. No, they they act exactly like this when it's an 80s horror movie and literally everyone just needs to talk bluntly and directly about wanting to bone town each other. Like, that that was the thing that sort of stuck out to me because it's actually been a while since I'd seen, like, a late 70s, early 80s horror movie. So it was so jarring to me that every single person was like, oh, yeah, dope and sex. How cool. And I'm, go- like, I'm coming here to score. Right? Oh, what's that screaming sound? Oh, probably Debbie just having an orgasm. <laughs> Yeah. I don't even it's not even something specific to Rick. Rick just seems like the lamest, blandest example of it. Like it's it's the it's the exact thing that Wes Craven was making fun of in Scream. It's just like everyone has sex on the brain because their target audience is teenagers who get who titter at the at the even this the word boobies. <laughs> I just tittered right now. <laughs> <laughs> Boobs. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting that's an interesting point you make though because i mean as as i would definitely say that 
you know, we in the 21st century are more generally sex positive, but I don't know that anybody announces in advance before taking a trip with their friends anywhere that they intend to get laid. Uh, I mean, even if you yeah. have, even if you bring your partner with you, I mean, that's not really something that needs to be established. You know, certainly you know, your friends aren't going to want to, you know, hear that you intend on shacking up with your partner the whole time or, and certainly, and even more, you know, if you're there, if you're a dude and you're there with a bunch of women, they don't want to hear that you intend to get laid that weekend. It's like, oh, really? By whom? <laughs> and then, you know, right. that's, you know, and that should lead to a, a well-deserved, very uncomfortable conversation. But, you know, in movies like these, it's like everybody's all giggling and wondering, well, which one of us does he want to sleep with? And, you know, I, obviously these are probably they were exaggerated for these kind of movies. But, yeah, no, that's a really interesting point that you make that, that you know, the primary purpose of all these people, you know, these people gathering at Camp Crystal Lake ostensibly to train counselors or whatever. But, yeah, no, they're all pretty plainly there to, to score, buddy. Yeah. High, high five. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's because it's I guess it's, you know, that's a horny teenager thing, too, because there's nothing quite like sexually desperate teenagers to, like, telegraph so much how much they want to have sex or like how much, you know, that classic sort of bragging about having sex, even though you haven't like that kind of thing that like teens do all the time. I guess that's part of it, but it's also just really, really exploitative. And it's just a little, little, little weird to, to watch like in 2016 when we generally know better. It's even weirder that unlike a lot of movies that are pretending to have high school students in them, these these people are not pretending to be in high school. Yeah, they're all obviously older. And I can't imagine an adult male somewhere in his mid to late 20s announcing to a girl that he's trying to bed and say, I think we should set aside three hours a day to fulfill our needs. That yeah. is not going to get anyone turned on. It feels like he he already feels entitled to sex. Like that's what it is. Like he, he like the reason he he was invited there is is to do that. And I guess instead of asking, his strategy is just to like we're going to fuck. This is when we're going to do it. And but say it in like what he thinks is a jokey enough way to like let it skirt by. And she tells him that she was attacked, and he's just sort of like. Well, you know, that's a thing that happens. I mean, if you and if you and if, and if you were trying to, you know, to score air quotes with a with a woman, and she tells you, well, you know, a couple of years ago, I got attacked by someone, and I nearly died, and I'm still kind of traumatized by it. Wouldn't you be like, wow, man, I am really shitty for for trying to push her into having sex with me. I am a dreadful <laughs> human being. And but no, it just it seems to he's completely unfazed by this. Yeah, because well, it all it is is just how it affects him too. It's sort of like like it. it I don't know. It, is he really unfazed, or is it more like just disappointed that like because of this he doesn't get to get his dick wet? So <laughs> let's venture into this fraught territory because the last <laughs> thing I want to do is make fun of someone's story of assault because that is a real thing, yeah. and that that is not fun. Like you know, chopping someone while they're standing on their hands. That doesn't happen every day. I can make fun of that all day long. But let us take a look at her story as she lays it out and see if we can figure out what the fuckity fuck 
she is talking about. Here's how she sort of doles it out to Rick as they're lounging about this piss-poor waterfall. You you brought me home, Rick. I got into a fight with my parents. My mom hit me for the first time, which is a lovely nugget of information to find out. I'm going to make them pay, so I'm going to sneak out and I fall asleep underneath an oak tree. I wake up and the toxic Avenger attacks me. <laughs> Looking like he looks now, even though the events of this take place several years before part two, and he looks completely different than that. (laughs) And while that wouldn't matter in any other film series or any other point in this particular film series, the same director worked on part two and part three, which makes me think he just doesn't give a fuck because it would be (laughs) difficult to explain. Fine, fine, fine. Then she passes out and wakes up in her own bed, and her parents won't tell her anything about it. What happened? I look to you first, Gina Radcliffe. He politely brought her back and left her on her on the doorstep of her parents' house. That's you know, Jason Voorhees 101, sure. You know, he's he's nothing if not a gentleman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I mean, can we? I mean, can we assume that he was just kind of randomly walking around her neighborhood? Yeah, she kind of makes it seem like this is somewhere that she just happened to run off and hide under, fell asleep under an oak tree. Did she say? But I got the impression that she came back to this campsite from far away, and and that not that she you know lived in the neighborhood, which is just well, like, that Higgins Hideaway is her family's place, and oh, she hasn't oh, okay. been back oh. to it since this assault or. Uh, tussle or inexplicable nap in which she wakes up from in her own bed and no one will tell her what happened Uh which is fucking nuts on top of it so that's a reasonable enough explanation from gina clint i look to you to see if you have any further clarification oh god um i don't know all i can say is that i'm currently looking at the friday the 13th wikia Oh, uh, no. on Chris Higgins and what it says is I don't remember if this was in the movie I may not have necessarily uh, seen this part is uh, what Chris didn't remember was that she regained consciousness in the deformed man's hands and broke free of his grip she ran until she crossed paths with a local doomsayer named Ralph who noticed her terror of something however Christine did remember the hideous man's face and couldn't forget about it so I guess like she he was carrying her somewhere and she woke up and escaped and eventually made it home yeah that that's i I guess i mean i I mean that's as much made up bullshit as anything we could make up right now because that doesn't occur in the movie nor have i ever heard anyone connected with the film state as much there is no citation for this text uh just to clarify citation needed fan fiction yes yeah (laughs) very much i I love the i use the actually use the wiki a lot for this and and the people who write these, God bless them, they add a lot of additional information. <laughs> like, um, yeah. we did the episode with the uh, the character who is cut in half with a uh, with a machete, and that the wiki mentioned that he was buried with his girlfriend. They just and they literally just got they just they just throw they just throw both half of his bodies in in her casket with her. I was just like I was like, like as a sandwich. Yeah, that's, like the bread of a sandwich. Yeah, and I guess his parents were okay with that. Yeah, sure, just throw him in there sure. with her. That's that, that's that's good. He's that, not going to family have a, plot. That's for sure. Why not have a sad sandwich part two? 
There you yes. go. Hashtag, hashtag new sad sandwich. But, new uh, sad yeah. sandwich. But, uh, I, I, I argue that there is no such thing as a sad sandwich, though. All sandwiches mm. bring at least a small measure of happiness. I also, I also like on Rick's page for the wiki. Uh, evidently, his last name is Bombay, which is a, a <laughs> oh, get the fuck a, out! A cur- There's no choice. way that that guy's name is Bombay. Bombay. But I love, I love the oh, last. God. Eventually, his one-eyed body and eye were found and taken away. <laughs> Afterwards, he was buried at his funeral. <laughs> Oh man, this is peak. As opposed to being buried elsewhere, like they were on the way to the funeral, like just drop them off here and we'll dump the casket. It's lighter because I just I just clicked over to the Rick page and it describes him primarily as the main deuteragonist on Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. I'm like, come on, no one is no one is any kind of agonist in this movie. I'm an agony because of this movie. Yeah. Oh. oh, boy. Afterwards, he was buried as funeral. Yeah, you're right. It just, <laughs> there seems to be the complete life story. I want these people to write obituaries. Yeah, I like that. Some, some of them are actually given parents. Uh, like, like my favorite, as Patrick can tell you, is is Shelley's parents, Mr. Lucidez, Mr. and Mrs. Finkelstein, which I just, <laughs> I, I find that hilarious because yeah in most cases your parents are going to have the same last name as you it's um, it's the same as chris it's it says known relatives mr higgins mrs higgins and like you know what good on you for an educated guess <laughs> i like that the pic i like the picture of uh of of um rick he he, he well you know the picture where he's not being actively killed uh mm-hmm. he, he looks like he's about to star in a in a dinner theater production of seven brides for seven brothers he he looks like the kind of guy who owns a volkswagen beetle <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's very cool about that being pretty much destroyed and I then don't later he has the capacity for that much emotion <laughs> Like what you do? And then do? later the, ba- the the battery doesn't start, and he's like, "Ah, what are you gonna do? This is a hunk <laughs> right. of junk that I just happened to own, and I have no emotional connection to its ability to work or not work at all." Yeah. <laughs> what so, a dummy! <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> is he's not the worst. He's not as bad as Paul, and he's not as bad as Shelley, but he's not much better. <laughs> kill, kill, kill. Well, hello there, campers. It's your old friend Patrick Hamilton. We're taking a break from the action to let you know about a couple different places that you can find myself and Gina outside of the Kill by Kill podcast. The first place you're going to want to go to is the Loose Cannon podcast with Caroline Fulford. I tell you, this is a great episode. Every episode there is fantastic, wonderful insights that you're just not going to get anywhere else. But Gina and Caroline broke down the 1982 version of Cat People. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderfully strange and sweaty, sexy, Ed Begley-filled film. (laughs) It is so delightfully odd. It has to be seen to be believed. And if you don't believe me, you've got to listen to this podcast and find out more. Please. Go out and listen to the Loose Cannon podcast with Caroline Fulford. Every single episode, you won't be disappointed. Also, make sure to check out the Scream 101 podcast, where horror fanatic Brennan guides his genre newbie friend Sergio through the scariest films 
in cinema to see what happens when fright flicks stop being polite and start getting real. Oh, wait a second, that's from the real world. Oh no, when Brennan and Sergio get together, it's murder. Now that's heart to heart. Anyways, it's a really fun podcast. And uh, Brennan, who's a great fan of the show and we love his support, asked me to come on for uh, one of their episodes where they talked about the 1981 sequel to Halloween. And it turns out that's a pretty nasty little flick. We had a lot of fun discussing nurse shoes and how to hit on an unconscious woman and sort of holes in our own personal horror histories. I think you'll really like it. Why don't you check out the, both the Loose Cannon podcast and Scream 101 today. And now, back to our regularly scheduled massacre. Kill, 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 kill. Break, break. After Chris tells her tale, her her audition monologue, as it were, they the car won't start. So Rick says, we're going to have to walk. And Chris says, oh, I know a shortcut. Is that is that a shortcut by I got mysteriously assaulted here, Creek? You know all the ins and outs of this place in the middle of the night? Oh, Jesus Christ. Why are you following yeah. this person? Why did you wander away from civilization? <laughs> This is stupid. Okay. So they go back to the house. I feel like you just said that just to say that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to the house. They are surprised that no one is doing or saying anything. Especially with those troublemakers, is Rick's retort, which he lands with all the panache of a person being put under right before they're having a dental procedure. And... <laughs> He, they both go inside, they find popcorn everywhere, but really no bodies. Chris decides to go upstairs. Rick decides to go outside, and that's when he meets his untimely end in the very hands of Jason Voorhees as he grips his giant melon of a head. (laughs) And like a Gallagher audience participation moment, then creates a wet zone in front of everyone to see and we have that signature 3d moment of rick's head imploding and his eye popping out yes it's which uh, they weirdly foreshadow with the old dude yes the old crazy dude with the eye yeah absolutely right his eyeball flies very cleanly out of out of an eye socket (laughs) with a visible string that was very strange i don't remember that being part of the body yeah i was gonna say they they do not at all even attempt to make this head look like the actor it's it's i'm like looking at a still at a still shot of it and it looks i mean they they there's like no effort Looks like Mark Hamill. It does look like Mark <laughs> Hamill. It, it it looks like Mark Hamill with like a just a shabby brown wig on top of it, and, and it's yeah. It looks like Mark Hamill got in a fly machine with Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> I, I think they entirely focused their attention on the eyeball effect and did not even give more than a half an hour's attention of trying to sculpt a head that would even look like rick i mean i can imagine you if you turned away for a second and went back to the scene you're like wait 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 who's he killing now yeah. <laughs> because it's like it, it, it does not look like rick it does not sound like him and thinking about looking at this when i was a kid and thinking whoa he crushed his head so his eye flew out and then i look at it now it's like <laughs> how did i fall for this shit come on <laughs> right just to put it in uh in context for our audience who may or may not have seen it a bit of comparison here lionel richie's blind sculpting student from the hello video 
does a better representation of his head than the special effects artists did of Rick's head. Presumably they could see. I assume that they were able to see at least photographs, if not his physical being, before sculpting the special effect. And it does not resonate at all. I will give them credit for one thing. Uh, the, The model appears to have at least a more lively and expressive face than the real actor. Uh, at least because the, the expression that it's making is like I couldn't imagine the real actor having the like facial muscles to actually pull that off. Oh, like it looks dear. like an emotions being conveyed, perhaps one of fear. <laughs> well, don't 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 go out on a limb there, Worthington. Yeah, okay, that's right, that's fair. a lot to put out there. So going beyond the pale. And that's a huge claim. There might be some sort of used car law you might be violating by Uh-oh. promoting such a myth that he's able to affect emotion. <laughs> Are we car faxing emotions now? <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is. That's what this podcast is. A car fax of every emotion of every character in the Friday the 13th series. Yes. I love it. I nailed it. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. And so we so say it to... He's dead. He's dead. R.I.P. D. Rick. Let's pour one out for you. Yeah, uh, you did shit all. He and, was well, no, ineffective. He was, he, was, he, was, he was Jason's choice for the uh, flinging through the window routine. Yeah. Yeah. Doing he provided a car for other people to use. <laughs> and Hooray. He, and that's and about he, it. And he wore some sweaters. He's the boring guy you invite along to like a big like camping trip because he has all the stuff. And he's old enough to buy beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's old enough for his AARP card almost. <laughs> Okay, so it was his now, time. <laughs> it was his. Well, it was, it was long well past. It was time. well past his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Uh, uh, at least we get the satisfaction of seeing him go, as opposed to Shelley. We only really get the very dying throws, and Paul. We never get to the satisfaction of seeing him eviscerated in some way, shape, or form. At least with yeah. Rick, we get the emotional resolution of going, okay, he's definitely dead. Yeah. And I, yeah. I might note, when his head is crushed, the only thing that pops out is an eye. You notice no brains at all. Yeah, no, the eye, so- <laughs> the eye socket is completely empty. I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's dry as a bone, baby. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of blood coming out of his mouth. Yeah, the, the eye socket is... There's there's nothing in there. It's a rubber It's a rubber mask. Well, that's one thing is I, everyone didn't... Everyone bled very little. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to clean things up as efficiently as he did. Like, he never had to wipe up blood, Jason did, in, in between killing and, like, moving the bodies elsewhere. Yeah, you know what I bet it is? I think Billy Mays is his Winston Wolf. <laughs> where like he calls Billy Mays and is like I've I've got such a mess. What am I gonna do? And he's like he comes over with like a just a tub of OxyClean and just gets it in just like a, a, a gram of coke and they just go for it. <laughs> and then voila, uh, they're done. The stain is gone. Well, at least when Chris wanders upstairs, there's one explanation for why she doesn't discover that hallway covered in blood. And that's because it's leaking water everywhere from a plugged up bathtub where some bloody clothes or maybe some bodies are. We can't tell, but I know that Chris has never owned or rented because no one's been that fucking casual about water damage. I've never seen someone saunter so slowly when it's obvious that there's 
a massive amount of water that should not be in your hallway uh-huh. pouring into it. Well, uh, I just so don't know what Jason's plan was for the clothes. I guess he he was washing those. Uh, I presume there was going to be a dead body in there, but then I guess it was just just clothes. That or maybe it was an MPAA cut. That that was one of those things you never know. Right. So in between her indecision about how to judge the sleeves of her windbreaker, <laughs> they go up and down, up and down, up and down. She also battles loose doors and windows in the storm, which oh, that's are incon—it's like in, a chapter not routine. convincingly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not it's convincingly like the gold rush all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the at least the grip, you know, earned his money for that day, but it's not yeah. exactly the most convincing effect. And then eventually, Jason saunters into the house. We get the first of many no, no's thrown <laughs> no. in his direction. She goes back up the steel staircase that Gina couldn't remember existing for several episodes, and then abuses him with the power of literature. Meaning that she just dumps a bunch right. of fucking books on top of them. The language. Yeah, this is sort of like, it, it, it's so funny, like in an hour and a half movie, like the final 20 minutes are f- sort of the when it, things actually sort of happen. Like these are the only 20 minutes you really, really care about. It's like, okay, now it's time for the final girl to, to, to run up and downstairs, hide in places, find all kinds of improvised weapons and do her thing. Uh, and she's surprisingly resourceful for for someone who's like literally never done this before. She's not. She's resourceful, but I can't say that she moves with a sense of urgency. It's like she's no. walking through a dream. And it's true. She's not the but only she does, one. She does quickly get over the uh, ickiness of taking uh, the knife out of the back of the neck of her dead friend. And instantly using it, she's like, ew, 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 ew. all right, let's go. <laughs> and then we we get we get a, a semi knife fight uh, between them that uh, is not exactly West Side Story in terms of dramatic intent. That would have been Jason amazing gets, if it was. Oh, I'm telling you, that's what it needed. It needed some dramatic red spotlights. Jason gets it in the hand and the leg. Then he yeah. pulls a knife trick and throws it at her, barely missing. Which is a pretty right. good fucking throw. Yeah. She decides to go out a window. He grabs her windbreaker. It rips apart. It, it all makes sense. It just moves in slow motion. And then this is my absolute favorite part of the interior cabin fight. Is she falls outside and sort of stumbles towards the barn. And he walks down the stairs holding the handrail. Yeah. <laughs> now. This does not say I'm a psychotic killer to me. Like, oh, 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 careful going down these stairs, Jason. I wish there was one of those, like, mobile chairs for old people to, like... <laughs> well, you know, she, and, and then Chris can short it out, like Mrs. Deagle and Gremlin. Yes. Kind of launch him out to the top window of the, oh, the cabin. Oh, great. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well, because that's the thing. Like, it's those times that Jason actually seems injured from the like impaling of his hand and like clear stabbing through of like just above the knee, like things that would cripple a normal human being. And at least he like limps a little bit until like two minutes later, we've all forgotten those injuries exist. But again, like that's part and parcel of horror movies. Like, yeah horror movie monsters are literally just invincible uh he's so, literally wolverine so then we get this this very unconvincing sequence where uh chris battles her van finding yes. the keys getting it to start running out of
the gas, driving over a bridge, breaking down, flipping the gas tank, getting stuck. Jason dives in the window. She rolls it up and traps his forearms in. So we know his weakness. Trap yeah. his forearms. There's little he can do. He's like, oh no, I'm pinched. But then like he's able, he like, doesn't he like, um, just bang his head through the window just to to get it out yes i was watching yeah. it with my brother just to review quickly and i turned to him and go hey that's using your head and he <laughs> no. gave me a death stare just a <laughs> death stare so now we get to the barn of doom uh-huh, the bod. Chris wanders up to the top of it and grabs a hold of a beam now generally that requires putting all your weight on it wrapping your arms and legs around it and yet somehow she manages to slip off a beam that's a rectangle with right fucking angles does anyone know how she loses balance off of that beam i i I presumed her intention was to drop down on him i was gonna say because the script demanded it yeah because it seemed like it seemed to me because like she could have slipped down when he she was looking away, but like I, th- I think the plan. It seemed to me the plan was wait till Jason is like directly under her again, drop down. So like it was part of her getting into position. Maybe this is me ascribing too much agency to her. But she drops down, then she tries for the door, and she only then does she realize she can't get out. It's what quite do the I crotch know? attack that she launches at Jason. Yeah, 3D crotch coming at you, yeah. (laughs) She's trying to hurricane Rana him and doesn't quite (laughs) land that Black Widow move. Luckily, Ali is there to occupy Jason for a little while, at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they sort of wander back up to the second level where she hides behind some hay bales. You can tell that she's not a complete dummy. She manages to knock him out for the moment with a shovel. And then she wraps that hay bale rope and pulley system around his neck and push him off and hang that motherfucker. Like, good for you. Like that. (laughs) Hey, Chris, you won one. But but at what cost, Patrick? <laughs> at what cost? Because when I when when I was watching that, I was thinking, oh man, like like it's really efficient, good for her. But also like, holy shit, like the the to the extent to the way in which he is going to die is very very brutal. And uh, maybe she's taking a little bit of pleasure in this. <laughs> like, well, maybe she's, she's the real monster, guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and she, I mean, she knows at this point that this is the guy. This is the guy, the one who who attacked her before, because for whatever reason, I guess because he re- recognized her too, he lifts his mask. He's like, "Eh, eh, remember me?" Which is just—it's it sort of it, it harkens back to that odd sort of like in the, in the second movie where he takes five years to stalk Alice, demonstrating mm-hmm. a sort of intellect. Let's say that he doesn't always have guess when you you know attack someone you remember them i i don't i've never attacked anyone i don't know <laughs> if uh those kinds of things i don't know if that one that got away thing works in that regard <laughs> you know i i'm pretty the only the only version of the one that got away i know is the romantic kind but i guess it kind of works if you're a crazed killer too you you have that person on your mind forever i'm sure the line's very blurred between the two well that that's yeah. true that that that's true but yeah he you know lifts his Mass it, yeah, see, you, you know, I, th- I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> and wait, hold a minute, Chris. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> is that wait, you? what are you saying? 
Yeah, the last time I saw you, you were like asleep underneath an oak tree. Is that really you? Oh my god, how long <laughs> how has it been? been? I've killed so many people since the last time I saw you, I can't even tell you. It's like, my <laughs> god, you look about six inches taller and 75 pounds heavier. Well, you know, you you spend a lot of time. I've been lifting a lot. I've been <laughs> you, you lugging grown men and throwing them through tree, throwing through windows, windows. like uh, like piles of logs. You know, you just, you know, that, that country air really just does a lot for the body. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, you look great. Good times. So, good yeah. times. Yeah. It's like that song, Old Lang Syne, where, where the guy reunites with his uh, old girlfriend on New Year's Eve. Just just picture that song playing while uh, while Jason lifts his mask. You got a real Harry meets Sally sitch going on here. Yeah. I'll have what he's having. Which is what? Like rancid raccoon? We don't know what his diet is. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem... Mm too great he's not on the atkins mm. diet uh <laughs> it, yeah. maybe he is he's, maybe that's what happens to you he was paleo you before he was cool or or, he, or he's strictly uh, nuts and berries which is why he has to have his own toilet in the middle of his hovel well it doesn't go much further than this because she gets yeah. up the stamina to grab an axe take a wild swing at his head nail him straight in the forehead and then he pulls that frankenstein move yeah. Which is kind of cool of flailing his arms up at the 3D camera. I kind of like that. It was that sort of whole thing. It kind of reminded me of the end of The Last of the Mohicans, weirdly enough. <laughs> when, like, uh, West Studi gets beamed in the head with that axe and he's still kind of half alive. Like, parts of his brain are still working, but mm-hmm. not quite. Yeah, like, so th- I got the impression that it was sort of like this weird animal, like, uh, just lizard brain instinct. And so and that will we, be the the first and last time this film will be uh, compared to the last of the Mohicans <laughs> in either its film or literature form. We're just yes. So yes. yeah, that's you know kind of R.I.P.D. Jason, kind of not. And then the shot of the lake, and all they're missing is the end? Question mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like I'm like why didn't they tie? Why didn't they like tape off that body? Did everyone just leave? Well, that was my like, question. What's it good for? Yeah. yeah, absolutely nothing. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is this is Friday the Thirteenth Part Three Day. So let uh. us very quickly choose our own death venture here. And Clint, the point of this is that we are going to decide which way of the people who are killed in our section of the movie here you would prefer to die in that particular manner. So mm. your choices are. Beaten over the head with a lead pipe, and then you wake up a few hours later, you get your hand chopped off, and then get chopped up with a machete. Get your head squeezed to the point where your eye pops out, and then later your dead body gets thrown through a window. Or, I guess, our other option is the way Jason goes out. You get knifed in the hand, the leg, uh, you get hung, and then you get an axe in your forehead. Hmm... I can't pick Chris, can I? Because she lives. <laughs> she lives. No, she lives. that's not our death venture. She lives. Dang it. You can only Dang go it. with death here. I, I I, mean, how can I possibly pass up Rick? Uh, getting my head squashed and uh, getting thrown through the window just to spook somebody. I, I think I would, I would enjoy. I would enjoy my body being used to just add a little extra spice to someone's life. <laughs> That is very giving of you, Clint. Yeah, that I a lot do what about I can. You as I'm a, a person and a lover, soul. I assume. 
A gentleman never uh, kisses and tells. <laughs> uh, Gina, what direction are you going to head in? You don't have a whiteout to choose here. You got to choose a real death this time. Well, sometimes in making my decision for this, I I try to th- think about what my role in a movie like this would be. And I am pretty sure I would be the person that tries their hardest to protect someone or or to save the day, but would die quickly and ineffectively. So I would have to say that I would choose Ali's way out because he probably, I gotta say, having your head crush is a fairly prolonged and painful death. I mean, once you know, once Ali was in the grant on the ground, you know, he's probably out in the first or second slashing. Although I don't know, you know, he he recovered from being beaten with a large wrench, so he might have put up a good fight. We don't know, but yeah, yeah but but yeah, I'm thinking in terms more of just popping up out of nowhere, trying to save the day, and, and failing miserably. And I can totally see myself in uh in that regard. So yeah, I I'm gonna t- I'm gonna you know, choose the door marked Ali. I can see where you're coming from because because uh, at least Ali got a good nap in. Yeah. You know? So that way you get a nice nap right before you die. You're exactly. rested. It's a big day. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to side with Clint on this one. I'm going to go for head crush, if only to sort of fulfill my inherent kids in the hall fantasies. <laughs> I crush your head. Exactly. That's that's the way I want to go out. Uh, now, sort of, now, assuming uh, that, assuming that your your uh, your rubber head model would be as uh, unlike your actual visage, who would you who would you assume that it would look like? You know, as opposed to Mark Hamill with a shabby brown wig. Oh, you know, I maybe like a Ted Danson. I'd go with the Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got a very nice head of hair. I don't know if it's all real, but it sure looks yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess here fan theory because the model looks so unlike Rick, maybe he used it to fake his death. Yeah, it was a I mean, different guy. I mean, Shelley was a special effects guy. Maybe he happened to have a, a rubber head just sitting around in his. Right. Uh, his uh, he brought everything uh, else. Yeah. In, yeah. In his, Somewhere in his case. he and Shelley are just sitting on a beach in Cabo, sipping back mai tais and just having a grand old time. Yeah, Shelly could have been. Shelly could have been faking the whole time. We, we. Right. I mean, he, we only saw him collapse. I mean, nobody said, nobody declared him officially dead. Yeah, it's true. I declare him officially dead. <laughs> he's I dead to me. Declare. Yeah, he's dead to me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All righty, kids. Well, that just about does it. Clint, where can people find you in the big bad internets? Oh, well, uh, that's a good question. I'm everywhere. I'm all of you. Um, but mostly uh, I'm on Alka Hollywood, which is A-L-C-O Hollywood. You can find that at AlkaHollywood.com or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever other podcatchers you've got. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Alka Hollywood. Uh, we release episodes every every week and most usually every Thursday and uh, in addition to that I am also a staff writer for Consequence of Sound so occasionally if you go to uh, consequenceofsound.net you will see my film reviews and features reviews and uh, all that kind of fun stuff Excellent. And Gina, the same? Uh, I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.com. So that just does it for us. Uh, If you want to say something to us, you know, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can reach out to us at KillByKillPod on Twitter or KillByKill.com. 
pod at gmail is our uh, email address and let us know what you think. Of course, if you have the time, please rate and review us on iTunes. It does us a lot of good. It gets us a little bit farther out there, lets more people know about the show, and we would be eternally grateful to you. And so, yet again, I bid you adieu until the real final chapter appears next time. It's been Clint Worthington and Gina Radcliffe and myself, Patrick Hamilton. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.